Hi everyone, this is Sarah Moore. Before we get started with this latest episode, I wanted to apologize for my long silence. The past couple of months have been a bit hectic around here, and my recording schedule paid the price. Thank you for sticking with me, and I hope you enjoy this and the next several upcoming episodes. This one in particular gave me nightmares for days after researching, so I hope you enjoy. I know I'll be double-checking the locks on my door tonight. In early 1978, Sacramento was terrorized by a bloodthirsty and cannibalistic serial killer. Richard Chase was a mentally disturbed young man who had been raised in a strict household and subjected to regular beatings as a child. He grew into a mentally unstable individual and was known to torture and kill small animals. He eventually became so delusional that he believed his blood was drying up in his veins and the only way to keep from dying was to drink the blood of others. By the time he was apprehended, six people would die at his hands, two of them small children. This is his story. Richard Chase was born in Sacramento on May 23, 1950. He was raised in a strict household and subjected to regular beatings from his father. As a child, he was known to be a bedwetter and also for setting fires. He developed a sadistic enjoyment of torturing and killing animals. It was a trait that would continue into adulthood and would eventually escalate into consuming the raw meat and organs of his kills as part of his paranoia. As a teenager, he became an alcoholic and regularly used marijuana and LSD. He had several girlfriends with whom he could not maintain sexual or emotional relationships. This was later diagnosed in psychiatric sessions as repressed rage and mental illness. He never sought out treatment, and things only got worse. For instance, he could not become aroused or maintain an erection unless violence was involved. He also believed that his pulmonary artery had been stolen and that his blood was turning into powder. These delusions eventually led to necrophilia and murder. At 21, he was kicked out of his apartment by roommates due to crazy behavior. He moved back in with his mother, but this didn't last, and his father arranged for another apartment where Chase lived on his own for the first time in his life. It was during this time that his paranoias became really dangerous. He was socially isolated and spent his time capturing and killing small animals. He often ate them raw or blended them into smoothies with the belief that this was the only way to prevent his blood from drying up. He was eventually hospitalized for blood poisoning when he'd injected himself with rabbit blood. During his stay in the hospital, he frightened other patients and hospital staff. He was frequently found with blood smeared all over his face, claiming that he'd cut himself shaving. It was discovered, though, that he'd actually captured pigeons, bit off their heads, and sucked their blood. During his time in the hospital, he began taking medication, and a lot of his behaviors ebbed. He was eventually released into the care of his mother. But one year later, in 1977, he rang his mother's doorbell. When she opened the door and greeted him, he threw a dead cat to the ground at her feet. He then knelt down to tear its belly open and smeared the blood all over his face. He screamed incoherently the whole time. She very calmly turned around and shut the door and the event went unreported. A few months later, he turned up naked in a field near Lake Tahoe. He was covered head to toe in cow's blood and screaming. In his abandoned vehicle, police found a bucket of blood, a cow's liver, two rifles, and a pile of clothes. He wasn't prosecuted or hospitalized for the incident. Instead, he was again turned over to his parents and the problem was ignored. 
this would prove to be a fatal mistake. On December 29, 1977, Richard Chase killed his first victim. In a trial run to practice killing, Chase shot and killed 51-year-old Ambrose Griffin. Griffin was an engineer and father of two. He was shot by Chase in a drive-by while helping his wife bring groceries in from the car. Ballistics tests revealed that the fatal shot was fired by a 22. The bullet was also confirmed to have been fired from the same gun that had been used to fire into the home of a Sacramento woman two days earlier. That slug was found in the home's kitchen and no one was injured. Two weeks later, he attempted to enter a woman's home through the front door, but he found the door locked and went into the backyard before leaving. In his delusions, he assumed that locked doors meant he was not welcome, but unlocked doors were an invitation to enter. It was a narrow escape for the woman who lived there, and he continued to wander the neighborhood before encountering a girl he knew from high school. Her name was Nancy Holden. He tried to get a ride from her, but he frightened her with his wild appearance, and she refused to let him in her car. Denied a ride out of the neighborhood, Chase continued to wander. Finding the door open to another house, he went in and rummaged through the family's belongings. He pocketed a few personal items, urinated into a drawer of infant clothing, and defecated on the son's bed. The couple came home while Chase was still in the house, and the husband confronted him. Chase escaped and ran out into the street. Having evaded capture and emboldened by the escape, Chase continued to approach houses in the neighborhood. He eventually came across the home of David and Teresa Wallen. David was at work, and Teresa was alone in the house. She was three months pregnant and taking a bath when Chase entered through the unlocked front door. He surprised the woman and shot her three times, once in the hand, a defensive wound, and twice in the head. After shooting Teresa, Richard Chase dragged her body from the bathroom to her bedroom. He flung her limp form onto the bed where he raped her post-mortem and repeatedly stabbed her with a butcher knife. Once he was finished, he disemboweled her and drained the body of blood into a bucket. He then took the blood into the bathroom and bathed in it. Afterwards, he returned to the body and proceeded to cut off a nipple and drain more blood into an old yogurt cup that he used as a drinking glass. Even then he wasn't done. He went into the backyard and found dog feces, which he'd collected and returned to the body to stuff it into the mouth and throat of Teresa's body. When he was finished, he left the house and Teresa's body for her husband to find when he returned from work that afternoon. Days later, Chase had entered the home of the Maroth family after finding the front door unlocked. At the time, Evelyn was in the bathroom. Her six-year-old son was in the living room watching television. So was Evelyn's 22-month-old nephew, who she was babysitting. Also in the house was family friend Dan Meredith. Dan had left the children in the living room when he heard someone at the front door. He'd entered the hallway and was greeted by an insane-looking Richard Chase, who pointed a twenty-two caliber at him and fired. Dan was shot in the head at point-blank range and was dead before he hit the floor. Chase bent to rummage through the dead man's pocket and took his wallet and keys. The gunshot had frightened the children, who started to cry. Twenty-two-month-old David was cowering in his playpen when Chase stood over him and shot the child in the head. Meanwhile, six-year-old Jason ran into his mother's bedroom looking for safety. He, too, was shot in the head. Twice. The boy died instantly. Chase then turned his attention to Evelyn, who was still in the bathroom. Things had happened so fast, she'd had hardly any time to react. 
Chase entered the bathroom and shot her once in the head. He then dragged her body into the bedroom and threw her on the bed. Then he proceeded to simultaneously sodomize and stab her numerous times. He even drank her blood from the many stab wounds inflicted on her back and neck. After he finished sexually assaulting the body, Chase then stabbed Evelyn's corpse in the anus at least half a dozen times. Some of the stabs were so severe that the knife penetrated her uterus. He then stabbed her in a number of vital organs, which caused the body's blood to pool in her abdomen, which he then pierced and drained into a bucket. Once the body had drained enough to fill the bucket, Chase drank all of the blood. Only then was he done with Evelyn's corpse. He left Evelyn's mutilated body in the bedroom along with her dead son, Jason, and went into the living room to retrieve the body of baby David. Chase took the toddler's lifeless body into the bathroom and proceeded to split his head open on the bathtub. He ate some of the brain, but was interrupted when the neighbor knocked on the door. A six-year-old girl had come for a playdate with Jason. Chase was startled out of his macabre revelry and dashed out of the house with the body of little David. He stole Dan Meredith's car and drove away, leaving a shocked little girl who notified a neighbor who then broke into the home to make the grisly discovery and call the police. The body of baby David was horribly mistreated. Chase cut off David's penis and used it as a straw to suck out the blood from the boy's body. He then cut open the body at the abdomen and removed several of the internal organs. Some of them were consumed raw, Others were made into gruesome smoothies that Chase drank from a dirty blender. When he was done with the body, he ditched it behind a church nearby. Five days after the murders, FBI profilers developed a criminal and psychological profile to aid in looking for a suspect. It stated that the suspect would be male, tall, malnourished, and a loner with poor hygiene. Most importantly, that he would continue to kill. The information that was released to the public was eerily accurate in describing Chase. After hearing the profile, Nancy Holden contacted the police about her unnerving encounter with Chase when he had pressured her for a ride, thinking he could possibly be the killer they were looking for. And she was right. Following up on the lead, police conducted a background check on Chase. They found a twenty-two caliber pistol registered in his name, the same caliber that had been used in the murders of the Maroth household and Teresa Wallen. This was enough to cause suspicion and prompted the police to go speak with him. When he was first approached at his apartment, Chase refused to speak with police and closed the door on them. They pretended to leave and hid down the hallway and waited for Chase. They arrested him after he left his apartment carrying a blood-stained box. His parka and shoes were also blood-stained. Inside the box, police found pieces of shredded and blood-soaked wallpaper and the twenty-two he'd committed the murders with. Chase claimed that the blood was from dogs that he'd kill, but then the police searched him and they found he was carrying Dan Meredith's wallet. This was more than enough evidence to arrest him on the spot and search his residence. Upon entering the apartment, detectives found blood on the floor, walls, ceiling, appliances, and counters. His dishes and eating utensils were caked with blood and rotting flesh. There was a blender on the counter that was coated in congealed blood and rotting remains of organs. Chase had been making smoothies from the blood and organs of both his human and animal victims. In the refrigerator, there was discovered several animal body parts wrapped in aluminum foil. 
there was a Tupperware container that held little David's brain. Also in the fridge were a few of his body parts wrapped in saran wrap, as well as various internal organs from both Teresa Wallen and Evelyn Maroth. Police also found several dog collars arranged on the counter and diagrams of various parts of human anatomy. Richard Chase was arrested and tried for six counts of murder. The defense attempted to have him proven guilty of second-degree murder in an attempt to spare him the death penalty by earning a life sentence. The case hinged on his mental instability and history of mental illness. The attorney argued that the attacks were not premeditated and lacked the planning to make them worthy of a first-degree offense. On May 8, 1979, Richard Chase was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to die in the gas chamber. While in prison, Chase was feared by other inmates due to the bizarre and graphic nature of his crimes. They feared him so much that they attempted to convince him to kill himself too fearful to get close themselves. The ploy worked, and on December 26, 1980, Chase was found lying in an awkward position. He was not breathing and overdosed on prescribed antidepressants. He'd been discovered by a guard doing cell checks. It was a quiet and somewhat peaceful end to the horrific killer that inspired horror movies and nightmares. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode about the vampire of Sacramento, Richard Chase. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and feel free to leave us a comment as that helps others find us more easily. Help spread the word by liking us on Facebook or following on Twitter and Tumblr. On a side note, I'd like to send out a special thanks to the Dark Myths Collective. Dark Myths is a collective of podcasts and podcasters dedicated to producing high-quality and emotionally power-packed listening experiences. Their shows span the full spectrum of genres, from history to fiction and crime stories. What binds them together is that they explore the darker side. This allows you to cross genres and discover podcasts that otherwise you might not have found. Be sure to check them out at darkmyths.org. Dark Myths is a fantastic collaboration, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or an idea for a podcast, please send us a message at info at brutalends.com. Until next time.